Well, good morning, friends. My name is Brandon, one of the pastors here, and I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Psalm 8. This morning we get to start a new series in the book of Psalms, uh, specifically in what's called Book 1 of the Psalms, which is chapters 1 through 41. Uh, we will not be covering every psalm in that section over the next two months. We'll be looking at selections from it. But I am really excited to be able to spend time in this book together because Psalms truly is a book for everyday faith. Uh, these, these songs, these poems, they meet us in every season of life as we seek to follow God in a, in a broken world, whether it's uh, the summers of sweet joy and praise in the presence of the Lord to the uh, autumns of fading hope and intense trials, to the winters the, where God seems silent and His help seems absent, to that renewed hope of spring where His mercy is fresh and His victories are, are new. Uh, this, this is a book that resonates with us wherever we find ourselves in our pursuit of God. These songs resonate with us in our journey. But they do much more than simply resonate with us. These psalms also refine us. They form us and shape us because this book is not just a, a collection of reflections on life's journey of faith. This is divine revelation of God. These are not just, a, you know, ancient Israel's words to God or about God. They are God's word to His people in every age and every generation. They're given for our instruction, for our edification, for our inspiration and encouragement as we seek to follow Jesus in everyday life, keeping our eyes fixed on heaven and keeping ourselves grounded and anchored to the gospel of His grace. And so we're going to jump into the book of Psalms starting with chapter 8. Uh, Psalm 8, which is a hymn of praise. It's the first hymn of praise in the book of Psalms. Uh, something we're going to see this summer is that there are actually several different kinds of psalms that we find in this book. There are songs of thanksgiving, which celebrate God's deliverance. There are psalms of lament, which are, you know, contain this cry for help. They give voice to our pain. Uh, there are um, what we call royal psalms that celebrate God's king or look forward to his Messiah, Torah or wisdom psalms that delight in his law, and of course, hymns of praise, uh, what we find here in Psalm 8. And this particular hymn of praise is framed by two questions, two questions at the beginning and at the end. Hopefully you noticed the repetition a moment ago when Roger read it, that the opening and closing lines are identical. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So questions that kind of come out as exclamations. Uh, but what's interesting here is that there's another question asked in the center of the psalm. Uh, it's the same Hebrew word, though we translate it different in English, uh, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And so two questions, the beginning and the end, how great, or uh, uh, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name? Two questions at the beginning and the end, and one question in the middle, what is man 
that you're mindful of him. And what we're going to see is that answering the question in the middle, what is man, moves us to ask the questions at the beginning and the end. How great is our God? Understanding who we are as small, weak, frail humans made in the image of God moves us to ponder how great God is that He would reveal His glory through what is weak and small. So, I want to start by answering the question in the middle, or rather by uh, letting David, the psalmist, answer it for us. What is man that you are mindful of him? And, and understand here that when David uses the word man, uh, he's talking about humanity. He's not just talking about men and boys here. Uh, he's talking about all humankind. To be a son of man here is to be a descendant or child of Adam. In other words, to be human. It's a human being. So, what is humanity that you're mindful of him? What is man? And there are two ways that understanding and embracing our humanity, answering this question, there are two ways that that moves us to praise God. And the first is that humility fuels praise. Humility fuels praise. If we look at the fuller question in verses 3 to 4, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for? You know, one of the things that I love about the Midwest, uh, especially when you can get out into the country away from all of the city lights, is just how clear and immense the night sky can be on a cloudless night. Uh, I grew up in a, out, kind of just outside of town in a little town in Nebraska out in the country, and, and there were nights where you're, just, you're outside and you just look up and you stop, and it, and it just takes your breath away to see the heavens just opened up to, to see the Milky Way like this white ribbon that just splits the sky. And when you see that and consider it, or, or when you stand before any majestic expression of God's creation, you stand before the ocean for the first time, or the, or the mountains or the Grand Canyon, you cannot help but feel your smallness in that moment, Right? Uh, it's been said that nobody goes to the Grand Canyon and walks away feeling more important than they were, right? You stand before that and you feel small. You feel your insignificance, how, how small we are compared to the glory of the heavens. And that overwhelming sense of smallness, that can affect us in different ways. Uh, for some, realizing our insignificance is deeply unsettling. Uh, it feels less like humility and more like humiliation. Like, why should God care about me? I mean, compared to all of this, the, the, the billions upon trillions of stars, or even just the billions of humans on this planet, why would God ever notice me? I'm a nobody, right? And then add to the fact that, that we live in a fallen world, I'm not just a nobody, I'm, I'm kind of a mess. Why would God ever notice me? I'm so small. I can't do anything great for Him. I'm, I'm, I'm too young. 
or I'm too old to be used by him. I'm, I'm too sinful or I'm too out of touch with the world around me. So, so why keep trying? Why care? It's not as if God would even notice I'm missing. And so there could be a discouragement, a disenchantment that comes with understanding how small we are. And for some, that discouragement can actually turn into a cynicism. Why should God even care? Like, why is He even messing with me in the first place? Listen to how Job asks a similar question in Job chapter 7. What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I've sinned, what have I done to you, a watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? It's, it's, it's if, in other words, if I'm really that insignificant, then why can't God just leave me alone? Like he's some cosmic bully picking on the little people. And, and so that, that sense of smallness can lead us to discouragement or, or disenchantment. But look at where it leads the psalmist in chapter 8. He, when he realizes his insignificance over against the glory of God, he doesn't respond in despair or frustration or humiliation, but rather in humility, a humility that moves him to praise. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I see how small I am, it moves me to recognize how incredibly great He is. And, and that's part of what embracing our humanity ought to do, to come to terms with our smallness, our weakness before God, to see how insignificant we are compared to His majesty and glory. It helps us realize and remember the world doesn't actually revolve around me. Like, I'm not the center of the universe, as much as I really want to think that and maybe often do. That no, actually, God's the center. He is so much greater. And so our sense of smallness ought to move us to praise the God who is so much greater than us. Humility fuels praise. But there is a second and more pervasive, uh, rather very surprising reason that understanding and embracing our humanity moves us to praise, how answering the question in the middle, what is man, moves us to ask those questions at the beginning and the end, how great is our God? And, and this, uh, this second reason takes up the bulk of the psalm, and namely, it, it is specifically that, uh, that dignity fuels praise as well. So humility fuels praise, but dignity also fuels praise. The fact that contrary to all expectation, that it is precisely through our frail humanity that God has chosen to display His glory in this creation. And, and David captures this surprising idea in two somewhat parallel pictures, both of which start with a description of God's glory in the heavens. If you look again at the second half of verse 1, you have set your glory above the heavens. And then in verse 3 again, when I look at the heavens, at the work of your fingers, and so on. 
So, so that's the standard of glory, right? That's what we expect. That's where we think to, to look to see the majesty of God. And then what surprises us is that both of these pictures are uh, about both of these pictures is he explains how that glory is actually displayed preeminently through frail humanity. The glory we think of in the majesty of the heavens, God actually displays through frail humanity. The first picture in verses 1 to 2, as one author puts it, it's, it's of God using the prayers of the weak to destroy his enemies. The prayers of the weak to destroy his enemies. The NIV captures the sense well here. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. I mean, think about that picture. I mean, you've got the enemies of God seeking to take advantage of the vulnerable and the weak to destroy the plans of God, and, and God stops them and silences them, not through the mighty and the strong who show up on the scene, but through the prayers of children, right? Through the weak, seemingly insignificant and small children. I mean, it's amazing. And, and you know, you think about it, we, we are insignificant when it comes to the glory of God in the heavens. But we are not insignificant when it comes to God accomplishing His purposes on this earth. None of us are. There are no small people in God's vision for humanity. And children, uh, I hope you hear what he's saying here. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, so often when we're young, we think that God can't really use me. I'm too little for that, right? And so I'll get serious about this when I grow up and get older. But you look at the picture here. It's God using the prayers of children to stop his enemies. I mean, that's, that's you. Like if you're under 16 or 18 or whatever, he's talking about you, right? In fact, he's talking about your little brother or sister down in the nursery. Infants and babes stopping the enemies of God through their prayers. That's amazing. And if you don't believe it, I'll prove it to you. Jesus, when he entered Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday, it was the praise of children that silenced his opponents. Matthew 21, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were upset, these priests and scribes. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, yes, I do. Have you never read Psalm 8? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. God wants to use all his people. He wants to use all his people. He gives dignity to our frail humanity. He makes his glory known through what seems small and weak and insignificant so that he might be praised, so that the power is clearly seen to be from God and not from us. That's the first picture. The second picture does something very similar. In verses 5 to 8, David himself answers the question that he asks in verses 3 and 4. 
What is man that you are mindful of him? And he answers it by taking us back to Genesis 1, where God chose not the stars to be the chief display of his glory, not the mountains or even the animals, but humans, humans to be the chief display of His glory. You have made Him, humanity, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned Him with glory and honor. Frail, weak, small humans crowned with glory. Again, seemingly insignificant, yet dignified by God and instrumental to His plans. And the language of verses 5 and 8 draws directly from Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. You can hear echoes of it all over. And that's where God gives us His design for humanity from the beginning. And in those verses, we learn that that humanity is so unique. Unlike every other creature that God made, according to its own kind, humanity is made in the image of God in the very image of God. And, and people have debated and discussed for years what that means, but I think we can summarize it in three ways. First, it's relationship. To be in the image of God is to be made for relationship with God. In Genesis 5, Adam, we read, has a son in his likeness after his own image. It's language of that parent-child relationship. And then second, it's reflection. It's reflection. Just like, a, just like a, a human child often resembles mom and dad, so we were made to reflect the character and reputation of God, to, to look like Him in how we live our lives. And then third, it means representation, representation, royal representation, to be precise. The King of heaven has taken humanity, made a little lower than the heavenly beings, than God and and the angels, and he has crowned him with glory and honor and given him dominion over all creation. We were made to represent God's rule on this earth. So relationship, reflection, and representation. Friends, to be human To be human in comparison with God and His majesty and all creation is to be small. And yet at the very same time, to be human, to be made in God's image and crowned with glory, is the most glorious privilege on earth. To be able to to reflect God and know Him. You were made for a purpose. You were made for... For a purpose. There is an intrinsic dignity to every person. And we need to hear that. It does not matter your, your age or your gender or the color of your skin. It does not matter your career or education or economic status. It does not matter your ability or disability. The imprint of God is upon every human being. And together, as a human race, we have a shared calling, a shared calling to know God as Father, to relate to Him, to reflect His glory, and to represent Him on this earth, filling it with His worthy image. 
As the second century uh, church father Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man fully alive. That's the design. You want to know how worthy and amazing God is, look at humanity. That's the design. And, and this is a calling that's not just reserved for ministry, right? Sometimes we think that I'm only really truly serving or worshiping God when I'm doing something kind of religious, right? We, we think that. And to be fair, of course, gathering for worship and reading our Bibles and praying and sharing our faith, those are all inseparable from knowing God and fulfilling His vision for humanity. Like, you cannot cut that out of it, right? Which means for people who do not know the Lord or have not trusted in Christ and been made new, then your life is less than what God intends for you. You were made for more than what you're experiencing. And to be honest, like if you sit in that and you think about it and reflect on it, you know it's true. Like th there has to be more than this temporary fading world that I'm just trying to figure out my place in, right? We know we were made for more. The problem is that our sins have separated us from God. They've cut us off from that vision, from that relationship, from that purpose. And Christ has done everything necessary to deal with that sin and bring us back to God, that we might be truly, finally alive, that we might be able to do what we were made to do in knowing God, in reflecting God, in representing God. And it's only through faith in Christ. So our spiritual engagement with God, that, that matters intrinsically. That's not, you know, uh, optional. It's not uh, marginal. It is central to fulfilling God's vision for humanity, knowing Him through Christ ultimately. That matters. But God's vision for humanity in our service and worship is it's also to make much of Him in everyday life. So it's, it's not just church stuff. It's all stuff. All of life in our everyday faith, serving God. It's not just a hope for the future. It is a calling for the present. So family, business, architecture, agriculture, uh, education, art, science, all of life, wherever we find ourselves living out our everyday life, that is part of what it means to reflect God and serve Him Reflecting his image, being his representative, caring for his world, contributing to the flourishing of his creation, filling every cubicle, every classroom, every conversation, every class project, every piano lesson or soccer game or, or music contest or home or gathering place, all of life filling it with the glorious image and reputation of God. That's what we were made for. To be human is to have purpose, dignity, responsibility. And as we take that on board, as we think about the God of heaven giving us such a role and a calling, and as we put that into practice, that ought to move us to praise God that he would think to include us in what he's doing on his creation. 
Our sense of dignity and responsibility ought to move us to praise God who has chosen to reveal His majesty through weak, frail, small humanity. Answering the question in the middle, what is man, moves us to ask the questions at the beginning and the end. How great is our God? And so how great is He? How worthy, how majestic is His name? Well, to praise God in the Psalms, to praise God, to respond to Him, is more than just saying the phrase, praise the Lord. Sometimes that's kind of what we reduce it to, you know, uh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That phrase is actually a command in Scripture. It's telling us to do something to declare God's worthiness and describe His work and His ways, to give Him praise, to magnify and glorify Him, to celebrate His worthy reputation. And we magnify Him not artificially, like, a, you know, like magnifying something, like a, like a microscope. Sometimes we, we maybe think of that when we hear the word magnify. The microscope, what does that do? It, it takes something that's really tiny and it makes it look bigger than it actually is. That's not what we're talking about when we are magnifying or making much of God's name. It's much more like a telescope where you are looking at something that is so immense and immeasurable and bringing it into clarity and focus that you might know it and celebrate it. Like that's what we're doing in our praise of God. God's name is to be magnified. This God who has chosen to reveal His glory through us, His name is to be magnified in all the earth. It's the very name that He revealed when He made Himself known in rescuing Israel from Egypt back in Exodus. It's the name He declared when He showed His glory to Moses in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That is the name that God has made Himself known in all of His Uh, saving work, the name he is known by, and that name is majestic, it is beautiful, it is worthy of our praise and our glory, and it is so worthy, it is to be magnified in all the earth. Our Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There is no place where the name of God should not be raised up in glory and honor. I mean, so much of our lives in this broken world, we spend it trying to make a name for ourselves, right? Trying to build our reputation, get our name out there. But in the end, there's only one name that will be on the lips of all people, and it won't be ours, right? In that day, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, God's name is is to be praised. How great is our God. How wonderful and majestic are His ways. 
that he would not simply create this incredibly marvelous world, but that he would put us over it to have this responsibility on his behalf. That he would not simply display his glory and majesty through the heavens, but through the meekness of his people. How great and glorious is this God that he would look upon us and say, I have a job for you. You matter. Every single one of you. You matter. Understanding who we are as frail humans made in God's image moves us to celebrate how great and majestic God is over all the earth. And at the same time, as we think about all of that, all of this moves us to ask one more question of our own. How will God's vision for humanity be realized? How will God's vision for humanity be realized? You know, for all of the glory of God revealed in this psalm and for all of the humility and dignity of, of humanity, there remains a dilemma in this psalm. And, and maybe you've felt or been thinking about this dilemma as we've been walking through it. We've been given this responsibility, this holy calling as the crown of creation, and yet we don't typically do a very good job with it, do we? Right? I mean, who among us can say that through our actions, our thoughts, and our words, that we are consistently filling every cubicle, every classroom, every conversation with the unbridled glory of God and His worthy majesty? Like, that's just how we roll. We are always perfectly displaying His image. Like, none of us can say that, right? In fact, again, more, than, more often than not, we are more busy making a name for ourselves than magnifying the name of God. We look at the world around us that we're told has been put in subjection under our feet, and it doesn't look very subjected, does it? Like, it's a mess. Like, you walk into a business or, or a classroom or a home, and, and it's not always easy to tell that God rules this place here through us. Like, we've got it. We're doing it. That's just not how our broken world operates. God's plan to fill His earth with His glory through frail humanity seems to be compromised by our weakness and our sin. The image is distorted. The relationship is broken. The rule is corrupted. And so how will God's vision for humanity, which is a vision for His universal glory, how will that ultimately be realized? Well, if you've been with Stonebridge recently, you'll know that we just finished walking through the book of Hebrews last week. And in Hebrews, actually, Hebrews actually answers this question for us when it quotes Psalm 8 in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, 6 through 8, the author quotes Psalm 8, 3 through 4, and and this whole royal representation that we've been made for, and and he picks up on the tension that we were just describing, this tension that we feel in verse 8, this tension between the holiness of our calling and the brokenness of the world around us. He explains in verse 8, in putting everything under him, under humanity, God, nef- God left nothing that is not subject to, subject to Him, yet at present we do not see everything subject to Him. 
Like we've got the role, but it isn't working. The world is not tamed and you know, ruled and subdued like it was supposed to be. Sin has messed it up. We cannot accomplish what we were made to do. And so we don't see our calling being lived out. But here's something we do see. Hebrews 2 verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Where Adam has failed, where all of us after Adam have failed, Jesus has succeeded. Jesus has succeeded. And so Psalm 8 is both a reality and a hope. It's a reality in that God's vision for humanity stands. This is still our job, our calling to reflect God, to represent Him, to relate to Him and know Him and fill the earth with His glory. It's a reality because our calling remains despite our sin, but it's also a hope because even though we fail, there is one and who, who is perfect in every way, who is a faithful human, made in, not just made in the image of God, but who is the very image of God, we read in Colossians. We have hope because the eternal Son of God has taken on human flesh and became a true and a new Adam. And what he did for us is what we could never do for ourselves in bringing uncompromised glory to the Lord. And he did it through weakness. He did it through his weakness. Think about that. When Jesus showed up, he didn't come flexing his muscles and telling everybody, kiss the ring, bow down. He became a servant. He emptied himself. He took on frail human flesh, and by subjecting himself to the unexpected glory of the cross, it was through his crucifixion and resurrection that he actually conquered evil and defeated the dark powers of this world and rescued our souls from hell. He was crowned with glory because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Think about that. Jesus was crowned for losing. Right? He was crowned for glory because he died. You don't crown the losers on the cross. They're the losers. We beat them. And yet that is how Jesus received his crown. By giving himself, by, by embracing that weakness through which God actually displays his Glory, And he did it that he, we might be rescued from death and that we might be reclaimed for God's purposes. And he's coming again. 1 Corinthians 15 also quotes Psalm 8 to tell us that Christ is coming again. And when he does, this phrase from verse 6 will finally and forever be true. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. He will finish what he started. And in him, we have a purpose. We have a purpose. God's vision for humanity stands. 
which means you have a place in the plan of God. No matter how small you think you are, no matter how weak or insignificant or messed up we have been, you have a place in the plan of God. And in Christ, it is now finally possible to make progress in that calling, to actually begin reflecting Him, to know Him in relationship with the Father. His Spirit is refashioning us back into that image that was compromised that we might bear witness to His rule on this earth. We have a place in the plan of God. And so my prayer is that that would move us to action, that that would move us to action, that as we consider this calling, that we would remember our purpose as we go about our daily lives, that, that the grocery store is not just about getting food, right? It's bearing witness to the goodness of God in the way that I interact with and how I treat others. Every part of life, filling it with His glory, contributing to the flourishing of His creation, being mindful of our call to reflect Christ and to help each person we meet know Christ and take their next step with Him. So embracing our smallness and our humility, understanding and embracing it, and, and following the pattern of Christ in being willing to lay our lives down, to become nothing for the sake of God and His gospel. So my prayer is that, that this would move us to action, but that it would also move us to praise. That it would move us to praise to express our gratitude to God that He would create us for His purposes, to, to announce our thanksgiving to God that He would redeem us and save us so that we can actually walk in that purpose, that He's present with us, that He's done everything necessary to make us His own. He's given us His Spirit that we might walk with Him every day, whatever season we find ourselves in, to praise Him for the glory that He so graciously reveals, not just through the majesty of heaven, but through the meekness of His people. May, we, may our hearts be moved to praise, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. That's my prayer. So let's pray, and then let's, let's lift our voices in praise to the God who is worthy of it. Let's pray. Gracious Father, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Lord, we, we praise you that in our weakness and in our smallness that you have not abandoned us, but that you have actually crowned us with glory and honor. You have dignified us and called us to be your representatives in this world. Lord, may that move our hearts to praise and we give you praise for what you've done. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power and mercy. Lord, would we be faithful through Christ to do what we were made to do, to know you, to reflect you, to represent you as your children crowned with glory and honor in Jesus. It's in his name we pray.